Best way to open the new year is to open it with God's Word, right? Um, so that's where we're going to head this morning together. Uh, we've been uh, going through the book of uh, Ephesians, and uh, if you uh, remember, we uh, got to chapter 4 just a few weeks ago, and uh, at chapter 4 is kind of the turning point in the book of Ephesians. And, and what happens is, is that Paul spends the first three or so chapters of the book of Ephesians outlining the indicatives of the gospel. That's, that's the who we are because of of all that God has done. It's the outline of our new identity as children of God. And it's like just packed, jam-packed with incredibly good news about who God is and all that he's done on our behalf. And in chapter 4, we hit the turning point where Paul moves from just outlining the indicatives of the gospel. Again, that's the who we are because of Jesus. And he begins to talk about the imperatives, and that's the what we do, Right? And so the gospel doesn't just give us a new identity, it it changes who we are, it changes our actual lives and what it looks like to be people. And so it's in the second half of the book that Paul really begins to highlight the, if the gospel's really true, if that good news is really true, then our life should look different because of it. And here's what it means for us to live in response to that good news. And what happens is it's really easy for us to just like forget about what Paul had been saying for like the past many verses and to just see the commands that are coming as like a list of of do's and tasks. And I can just guarantee you that like if we forget the good news of chapters 1 through 3 then then what's going to happen is we're going to see all this stuff as like tasks and responsibilities and duties and obligations and it's really really going to suck. And what's going to happen is you're going to actually grow to hate God because everyone hates a taskmaster. And so instead, the solution is that we would remember often what happened in chapters 1 through 3, all of the good news about who God is and all he's done, his adopting of us as his kids, him being an incredibly good father who loves us and cares for us and longs for our good. If we would remember that, then, then these commands that we will see in the coming weeks and they'll be just like, man, I, I want to live that way. I, I long to give my life back to you, God. That's like a joyful response because of all that you've done. And so like uh, Paul realizes that the Ephesians were going to forget like the like 10 verses before this. And so about every 10 verses or so, he reminds them <laughs> about the good news about the gospel. And uh, that's, that's really encouraging to me. Because if Paul knew the Ephesians were going to forget that often, then he sure as well knew I was going to forget that often. And so I just trust that as we dive into God's word every week that what you'll see and be reminded of is the good news about who Jesus is and how it really does change who we are. But but that's life-giving and not overbearing. See, this morning as we uh, um, study Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see that in light of being adopted as God's kids, we are supposed to imitate our Father in the way that we live. And our imitating our Father, it shows, it reveals that we're really a part of his family. And so we're going to uh, see that Paul highlights six areas or so uh, in our lives which were to imitate God. And all of these things are motivated by Christ's love for us. So let's dive in. We'll see how Jesus' love motivates us to imitate God as our good Father. All right? So we'll read the passage and then we'll pray. 
Ephesians uh, 4, starting in 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. And in your anger, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. For anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. And they must work doing something useful with their own hands. That they may be, uh, have something to share with those who are in need. And don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because of these things are they're improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but instead, or rather, thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes with, uh, on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. God, thanks so much uh, for your word, and thank you for our time to gather uh, in it together this morning. Help us see you as a good father who loves us this morning. And call us just graciously, God, to imitate you and your son, Jesus. Help us to love and follow you just out of glad and joyful hearts. Pray these things in your good name. Amen. Well, uh, in the middle of the passage there, in five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, the, the, it says, Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Right? Uh, anybody who's a parent know that kids imitate their parents. Right? Uh, Emma is always watching me always watching what's going on um i we've sh- she's been learning uh she's we've been potty training her lately and so she is very careful to observe how i fold the toilet paper right and it, when she does it it must be done the exact same way right when uh we uh, recently had spaghetti for dinner and i'm she's just like slurping noodles into her face and then she watches me and i'm spinning my fork to twirl up my spaghetti noodles, and she immediately takes all of the spaghetti out of her mouth, puts it back on her plate, and attempts to spin her fork to get it on her fork, right? She's, she's watching me, and she's imitating me. When Often when she plays, we'll be playing, and she'll say, Papa, I have to go to work. I'll be back later. Because every morning, I give her a hug, and I say, Emma, I love you. I have to go to work. I'll come home later, and we'll play together. And so she says the exact same things back to me. Children learn more by imitating and watching than they do anything else. And if we are children of God, if we are God's kids, then we should imitate and watch our Father, right? Like that should just be how we work. It should, that should just be what's true about us. One commentator writes this, We've been adopted into God's family and we're his beloved children. His love has been poured into our hearts This is just like so good. Since we've so richly experienced that love, we should be imitators of him 
and reproduce the family likeness. See, we're imitators of God because we're his children. It's like the default about who we are. It should just be true of us. So the question is like, how do we watch the father to know what he's up to, to know what he's doing? How do we watch him to, to imitate him? And the answer to that question is, we look at Jesus. In, Jesus, in, in John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the father. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If we want to know what the Father is like, we look at Jesus. He's the, he, Jesus is the proof about what God is like. And God proved in every way what he's like in and through the person and work of Jesus. That's why we've always got to look to him. You see, the cure for anxiety is not just trusting that God is in control of things. The cure for anxiety is remembering uh, that uh, it's like believing on a root and heart level that God proved he's in control by raising Jesus from the dead. The cure for a lack of generosity is not just trusting God with your finances. It's to believe at a heart level that God proved he was the most generous giver of all by giving even his son for us. And so we give generously as a response to God giving generously towards us. And so if we want to know what God is like, we have to look at Jesus. See, it's in Jesus and through the gospel that God proves what he is and what he's like. That's why we've always got to look there. So, what, what does imitating Jesus look like? What does it mean? The passage gives us um, some key thoughts about that, but first it says that our imitating of God is motivated by Jesus' incredible sacrificial love for us. Right? In 5.1 it says, be imitators of God, right? Follow in God's ways. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's our motivations, right? That's like the why. It's like the thing that's pushing us towards that direction. We have received such an incredible inheritance, such incredible love. And so it motivates us to love in return. So Paul highlights in our passage this morning six examples of what it means to walk in the way of love, to imitate God, to live as he does, to walk as he does. But I think just before we dive into those, I want us to highlight the thing that unites all of those things, the thing that, that binds them all together this morning that you'll see, right, is that there is a costly and sacrificial love in our relationships with one another. There is a costly and sacrificial love in our relationships with one another that is modeled and set for us by Jesus. Loved us, gave himself up for us. One commentator really helpfully highlights this. The same word that's used to describe Jesus that he gave himself up is the same word that's used of the wicked earlier in chapter 4 who give themselves up to sin. You see, we, like Christ, are to give ourselves up to love, to sacrificial love. That is the fragrant offering. It is the sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. And we see that displayed and proven and, like, maxed in Jesus. Furthermore, as we dive in here, 
growing up in Christ and imitating him, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, that never happens in isolation. It always happens in community. And so we need each other because, um, like sneak peek, spoiler alert, almost everything in the list has to do with how we relate to each other. (laughs) And you can't fix that on your own. You need others to do that and to be a part of that. So as we dive in and look closer at a few of these things, one last thing you'll see. There's a pattern in every one of the commands that's here. And the pattern always goes something like this. Put off the old, put on the new because of Jesus. And so put off the old, put on the new because of Jesus. You see at the root of it is it's not enough to just put off sin. We have to put on the new clothes of righteousness. You can't just take off your dirty clothes and run around naked, right? That's not helpful for anyone. You've got to put on new clothes. And it's the new clothes of righteousness that are important. As we uh, dive into some of the things this morning, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if God convicts your heart about stuff in there. He certainly did for me this week. And I think it's going to be really easy for you to see or for you to feel like the natural response, the way you should respond is, I just need to stop doing the old thing and I just need to start doing the new thing. And there's like a half-truth to that, right? Yeah, we do need to stop sinning and we do need to live righteously. That, That is true. But you don't have the motivations and you don't have the power to do it on your own. You need Jesus to empower you with his spirit to actually have a shot of like living differently as he would call you to. See, re- repentance is not just about stop, stopping doing one thing and starting something else. Repentance is about realizing that you're heading towards sin because you believe a lie. You believe that that thing or that person or whatever it is, that it will satisfy or give the life that you are looking for. And what has to happen is the gospel has to come in and shine light on it so you see it's a crap lie. And repentance is about acknowledging where you're heading is a lie. And it's about putting your faith in what is true in Jesus. It's a changing where you're looking. And that's what changes your direction. You can't just say, like, I'm heading the wrong direction. I've got to head the other direction. That's just like taking a wild turn to somewhere. You have to set a new destination. You have to set a new thing that's, that's calling you, that's pers- that we're of where you're headed. And the gospel does that. It shines light on our sin as the lies that it is. And it shines light on Jesus. So let's look at that in light of our things this morning. So, verse 25. There's uh, six things or so. We're not going to have time to get to all of them because of time, and I already am probably going long. So don't worry. We won't be here till noon. So, area number one, starting in uh, chapter 4, verse 25, right? It says, Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Uh, We lie because we're out for ourselves, right? (laughs) We want to affect the way others think about us, or especially we want to affect the way that others compare us to themselves, Or we want to get out of consequences or trouble or we want to manipulate a situation to our benefit or to the benefit of somebody that we're trying to impress. We lie because we're trying to get something for ourselves. That's always at the root of lies. 
Jesus' death reconciles us back to God and to one another. And in doing so, we become part of a family. The family of God is his adopted kids. Therefore, instead of just being concerned about ourselves, we're concerned about our families. When you get married, I know this really changed for me. When I got married, like when you're just a single guy, you're just, you, you are just like single track lane. Let's get some pizza. It's going to be fantastic, right? You're just concerned about you. You spend your money based on you. You think about your time based on you. You do whatever based on you. And then when you get married, you become part of a family. And what happens is you start to look and think about others rather than yourself. See, what happens is we get adopted into God's family, and so we need to, our lying is, needs to stop because it's about us. And it's not about the family. And so we need to grow up, and we need to care about the family more than we care about ourselves. Commentator writes this, A lie is at the stab into our, the vitals of the body of Christ. For fellowship is built on trust, and trust is built on truth. So falsehood undermines fellowship, while truth strengthens it. Jesus says, I'm the truth. God is truth. If we want to imitate him as our good father, then we need to be people who are about the truth. Instead of lying and seeking our own gain and our own good, we need to be people who are about the truth. That's how we imitate our father in that way. I'm going to cheat a little bit here as we move on and kind of tie number two and number five together because I think they really go. But we're in um, 26 and 27, and we'll fast forward to 31 and 32. It says, in your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. In 31 and 32, it says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. You see, there are two kinds of anger. There's a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. There's got to be some anger that's legitimate, right? The passage says, in your anger, don't sin. So it seems like it's possible to be angry and not to sin. So what does that kind of anger look like? I think what we see in Scripture is that that kind of anger is shown by God and his opposition towards sin, his, his anger, his, his opposing in every way towards sin. And we see it in Jesus, right? Who overturns the money tables uh, in the temple and who's filled with a, a righteous anger, it talks about in the passage. <coughs> you see, to be angry and not to sin is to be angry about the things that anger God. It's the opposition of his name. It's the misleading of his identity. It's the trashing of his people. I always think about it this way. When you're a kid, right, everybody brings up your mama jokes, right? It's like, you can say whatever about me. Do not bring my mama into this. That woman is a saint, right? I think so oftentimes what happens is we're just angry about ourselves. Our pride has been pricked or somebody has offended us. It's not righteous anger. Righteous anger is to be offended on God's behalf. I think uh, a lot too often, like, that never exists. <laughs> and so we are to be angry on God's behalf, not just, like, obnoxious, right? But the things that anger God should be the things that anger us as well. Instead, what happens is a lot of time we just have unrighteous anger. <laughs> it's about us. 
We have to make sure that our anger is free from just an injured pride or from a spite or from animosity or this is like the biggest thing, I think. For me, at least, it's like a spirit of revenge. We feel like we've been wronged and so we want, we want to right it ourselves. We want to be the ones who make it right. If you ever sense that within you, like that is just like a, that's just like a, should be a highlighter. That's not, that's not righteous anger. <laughs> that's just like you longing for your own vindication. Jesus is the only one that vindicates us. Let him do it. <laughs> the passage goes on to say, let, don't let the sun go down while you're angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Those things are like really linked. Letting anger fester and stew always leads to more sin. Um, Hannah and I are like the most opposite people in the universe. Uh, On any personality test, we're always the exact opposite things on all the ways to the max of everything, right? And what happens a lot of times is that um, when we work together, there's like this awesome synergy and harmony that's there. But then sometimes you just slightly mix those and it becomes like bumping of heads, right? (laughs) And when people are really different, there's often disagreements and there's often arguments. And what I found, what we found over the years is that um, when we don't talk about what's going on in the arguments that we have, when we just like have this argument and let it kind of blow up and then just walk away from it, what always like builds up in both of our hearts is bitterness. And here's where it ties to the second part of the passage, right? Because the passage says to get rid of bitterness. Bitterness is defined as this. It's a resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses to be reconciled. Why? Why do we... We should want reconciliation with people, Right? What happens when you just let your anger like stew, when you just like let it just like seep into you, when you don't deal with it and you just like let it just like soak in your heart and fall asleep with you and you let that attitude like pervade into your heart and your life? It always results in self-righteousness. It always leads to I was right. They were wrong. I do deserve what I said. I won't apologize. It wasn't my fault. There's just like this self-righteous indignation that just always builds and it always leads to bitterness because bitterness is a refusal to be reconciled. It's a, I was, I felt like I was hurt and I refused to let that go. A lot of times what happens with bitterness is that it leads to the justification of our actions. And so we treat our spouse like crap in the way that we talk to them or the way that we spend our time or in the subtle things that we do and we just kind of try to manipulate and make that other person feel bad sometimes. We think we're treating that person the way that they deserve to be treated. A lot of times it feels right. It feels like you're in the right. It feels like we're vindicated for how we're doing. That person was in the wrong. And what it does is it gives a foothold for the devil to destroy marriages and destroy community. You see, the solution to bitterness, the solution to anger, the solution to the the refusal to be reconciled is to remember how much we've been forgiven. 
Verse 32, so be, be kind and compassionate. Forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Jesus is our forgiver. He enables us to forgive. How much did we need forgiveness and not deserve it? We were given incredible forgiveness when we didn't deserve it. I just want to uh, say a word to husbands here this morning. Um, you need to take the initiative in leading your family in this way. You need to be the one, we need to be the ones that always come first to apologize. We need to be the ones that come first to lay down our pride, to lay down all that stuff. We need to be the ones that come first to do that. Especially when you feel like it's not your fault. Especially when you feel like it's not your fault. It is really hard and it like feels like it's a gut punch sometimes to your pride. <laughs> One of the things I've learned is that like, I need to continue to own all of my part of whatever the problem was because I was definitely a part of it. And I need to be willing to own far more than what was mine. The reason that we do that is because Jesus owned far more of our responsibility than was his. The fault was none of his, yet he took all the responsibility. And so we imitate our Father by looking at Jesus and we come humbly and we seek to forgive because we know how much we've been forgiven. And we seek to go above and beyond, not just to forgive a little, but to forgive abundantly. You see, we need to lead our families, husbands, we need to lead our families like that. If we want our families to grow up in Christ and to love him and cherish him, then we have to model that and we have to show that to our kids and our wives and our families. We can't demand that kind of action. We need to model it and show it. Thirdly, it talks about stealing versus working in verse 28. For anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Instead, they must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. See, a lot of times we think that stealing is just stealing stuff, and you're like, well, kids steal some gum. It's fine, Right? Or like bank robbers, they're on a whole new level, right? And so a lot of times I think we just brush over that and instead of what we miss that, like a lot of times we have an attitude of stealing in our lives. We have an attitude of taking rather than giving. I think a lot of times what happens is we take time. We take time from our employers. We take time from our families. We take things instead of give. A lot of times in today's world, it's about taking ideas rather than stuff. It's about stealing ideas and taking them as your own credit to advance your own career or advance your own relationships or advance your own standing or status with others. We have received so much from Jesus. We don't need to be taking anything. It says in Christ we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every one of them we received in Jesus. When we have an attitude of, of taking instead of giving, it reveals we have no idea how much we've received. 
And so the gospel breaks into that attitude which says we should take for ourselves. And the gospel says you've received everything you could possibly ever want. Give generously, don't take. One writer writes this. I just thought this was so good. When we really understand and believe all that we have in Christ, instead of sponging off of, the, off of others as thieves do, we'll start contributing to the community. None but Christ can transform a burglar into a benefactor. None but Christ can, can, can transform a burglar into a benefactor. That's like a heart-level kind of change that's happening. Fourthly, it talks about corrupt talk. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it would benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Jesus taught about the importance of words and of the tongue and of our language. And so did James. And the, much of the book of James is about the importance of the taming of the tongue and the way that we use words and what we say. And there's power in words for good, and there's power in our language for evil. And so the question is, how much of what we talk about and the language that we use sounds like the Father who adopted us and loved us? How much of what we talk about and the language we use sounds like our Father? Uh, Emma uses the words that I use. I taught her to say booyah and home skillet, right? She talks like me. She says the things I do. She laughs at the things that I laugh at. She imitates me, and she imitates me in the words that she uses, in the language that she has, in the stuff that she finds funny, in the things that she talks about. She talks like I talk, because she's my little girl. How much of what we talk about and the language we use sounds like the world around us that doesn't know the love of God? The word that's here for, used here for unwholesome talk is talking about um, it's referred to when talking about rotten trees and rotten fruit. Talk which is rotten and dead is worthless and unlike any words we hear from God our Father saying. The language that we hear from God, what does it always bring? It doesn't bring rot and death, it always brings life. Jesus speaks the words of life. Let's speak the way he does, right? Let's imitate our good Father and talk like he talks. So let's be careful then about how we're talking and the language that we use because it reveals the Father who's adopted us. We imitate him and we show the world what he's like in all of the way that we live, in our actions and in our words. We show what he's like in our speech's context and in its content. We show what our Father is like in our speech's context and its context content. It's the what we're talking about and the how we talk about it. It reveals the God that we it reveals our Father, right? Lastly here, Arius the, the, the sixth thing, it talks about sexual sin and greed. In verse, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 it says, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. These are out of place. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. The passage here is outlining how God's kids should think about sex, how we should view it, how we should see it. 
The Greek words that are used here for sexual immorality and impurity, they form kind of one idea that's basically like talking about all kinds of sex outside of the bounds of marriage. The Bible is like abundantly, overly clear that sex is designed for that purpose in that boundary. Furthermore, Paul adds to that list about sexual immorality, he adds greed, which on the front kind of feels like a weird toss-in, doesn't it? Like sexual immorality and greed, don't do that. But I think when we think about greed, it actually really is connected to how we view sex a lot. Another word for greed is coveting. It's the longing for something that isn't yours. It's like a pursuing of something that you desperately want. You see, oftentimes we covet someone else's body for our selfish gratification. Welcome to like the way our world thinks about sex, right? It's about me. It's about my pleasure. It's about my joy. It's about my happiness. I do it the way I want to and when I want to, and I have no bounds on it because it is about me. It's unto me. It's for me. It's, it's like the worship of ourselves is sex in our culture. See, what happens is that God says sex isn't about us. It says, he says it's about him. Because in sex, we have this picture of this unique kind of oneness and unity. And it reveals something about him. It reveals the unique oneness and unity of the Trinity. The difference that there in, in the sameness and the unity of the gospel and the unity of the Trinity. Our marriages and, our, and the way that we think about sex is a picture of God. It's an it's a, it's a example of his kind of unity and his kind of oneness. See, it's especially interesting here that instead the that the instead the, the put on in place of sexual sexual immorality it's not purity. You would think it would be purity, right? The the instead is thanksgiving. One commentator writes this it indicates a fundamentally different attitude altogether. Whereas sexual morality and greed both express self-centered focus, thanksgiving is the exact opposite. It's the antidote required. It's the recognition of God's great generosity. See, I think a lot of times what happens is we, we view sex and we use sex way outside the bounds it was intended because we're looking for something to satisfy and we're looking for something to give life. Rather, if we would believe that God is the most generous of all, and that he would never withhold something good from his kids, but rather loves to be the most generous one. He proved he was the most generous, that he gave his own son, his only son. He proved he was the most generous by giving Jesus to us. What else could he, what could he possibly want to withhold? So instead of pursuing sex outside the bounds that God's given, rather what happens, the, the antidote, the solution, the put on is thankfulness. It's a contentedness within the bounds. It's a seeing sex as the good thing that God gave it to be. It's enjoying it as he intended it to be because it's unto him. It's about him. It's worship for him. The passage closes with a, a warning, right? At the end of verses uh, five, and, 5 through 7 of chapter 5. 
And it says, for, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as adulterer, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, who is that warning for? Because that's kind of me. Like, I definitely have been the immoral person. I've definitely been the greedy person. And sometimes I feel like I still am sometimes. I think 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it's like a, in a lot of ways, it's a parallel passage. It shines some light. It says this. You'll hear a, a lot of similarities. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral or adulterers or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, or thieves, nor greedy or drunkards, or liars, or slanderers, or swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. This is verse 11. And that's what some of you were. That's what all of us were. Verse 11 goes on, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified all in the name of Jesus who did this all in the spirit of God. So who then is the passage talking about, right? Who will not inherit the kingdom? It's talking about this. If, if these kinds of actions are your normal way of thinking, if these are the things that characterize who you are, then it reveals that your identity is not part of the family of God. Right? If you look like a duck and walk like a duck and talk like a duck, you're probably a duck, right? Or there's a fantastic costume, right? You'll know a tree by its fruit. The fruit doesn't make the tree, it just reveals what the tree is. See, we're called to be imitators of God. If we don't imitate our father, like that's weird. Kids always imitate their parents. If we don't imitate him, then it reveals that he's not our father. It reveals that we haven't been adopted. It shows what's true about deep in our hearts. See, that's a really big deal because only those in the family get the inheritance. Only the family gets the inheritance. That's not a boast. That's not a pride. That is like a humble privilege and honor. But only those in the family get the inheritance that God offers the life that he offers, the relationship that he offers. Only the family gets that. So it says, don't be deceived. The way you live actually matters. Don't buy the lie of cheap grace that grace doesn't actually require changed actions. It's just a get out of jail free card. That's crazy. God's, God's grace came at the cost of the death of his own son. There should be something in response to that. Don't buy the lie that our life doesn't matter, that what we do doesn't matter. There's a, a really uh, quote that's always uh, stuck with me because I think there's a half-truth in it. It's from Batman, right? And um, Bruce Wayne is kind of like living this obnoxious lifestyle, right? And there's this scene um, where his childhood friend um, sees him kind of living this obnoxious lifestyle, right? And she's pretty disgusted with the way that he's living, right? And he, and he pulls her aside. He says, this it's not who I really am underneath. And she says, she says this. She says, deep down, you might still be the same person, but it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. There's a half-truth to that, right? Because God says who we are leads to our actions. But what's going on here is that what Rachel is saying, what she sees is that your actions, they just reveal what's true about you underneath. It's not the other way around. 
The things that we do, it shows who we are. It reveals what we're like. It reveals that what's at, the, at our heart and what's at our root. A lot of times uh, there's this you know, quippy saying, right? Love is a verb, right? I think there's like a thousand songs about that and all that kind of stuff, right? But the reason it's like a quippy saying is because it's actually true, right? Um, when Hannah and I were dating, I, I didn't tell her that I loved her for a, a bunch of months. I really, really felt like I was in love with her. Like, I, I definitely felt that way. And I, I thought that I loved her. I, I really did. But I didn't tell her that because I wanted to make sure that I had shown her that I loved her before I told her that. Because words are just empty without actions that reveal what's true, Right? So it is with God, right? If we tell God that we love him, but we don't imitate him at all, we don't live as he wants us to live, then like that reveals we don't really love him. And it's not to say that we don't make mistakes, right? And it's not to say that our lives are just like, just clean yourself up and be perfect, right? That's kind of insane. <laughs> but the invitation is, as children of God, we should look more like our dad all the time. As Emma gets older, as she grows up, like she's going to look more like me because I'm the one that's cha- influencing her and she's the one that she's looking to to imitate. And hopefully that's what will happen with my son Caleb. The songs that we sing, they don't mean anything without our lives. If we love God, we'll live differently. Don't be deceived. The way we live, it really actually does matter. God's grace isn't cheap. It's not worthless. It's not free. It was incredibly costly. So as we close this morning, as we think about the imperatives, the, the what we're supposed to do in light of the who we are, I just want to invite you, and might we remember the good news about the gospel often. Adopted, dearly loved children of God. Forgiven much not merited, not earned, not deserved, not like impressive in any kind of way, like graciously, incredibly graciously given. So may we cherish the good news about the gospel and let that change who we are. And secondly, if there's something that God was speaking to your heart this morning out of his word, from any of the stuff that was there, I just want to remind you, repentance is not about just stopping one kind of action and starting something new. That's only going to last for like an incredibly short and mostly worthless period of time. Instead, the invitation is to let like, God change your heart. Let him give you a new direction and a new desire to long after. Ask him to show you the lies that you're believing that are heading you towards towards lies, that are heading you towards sexual sin, that are heading you towards anger or towards bitterness, or that are heading you towards wrath, that are heading you all these directions. Ask him to like show you by his spirit. Ask him to highlight like what it is that is at your heart that's causing you to head that direction. Maybe it's something you believe about who you are, about what God is like. It's a, there's always a lie that we're believing at the root of our sin. So ask God to show you, and ask your friends to show you too. <laughs> Like, pray that, that God would give your spouse, like, wisdom for you. 
Pray that God would speak into your spouse's heart or your friend's heart. Pray that he would like give them words to speak into the heart so that they could help you. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about how the role of every member of the body is to speak the truth in love. It's to speak the truth about the gospel into everyone's hearts. I, cannot, I can't be the only one that does it. I need you to do it for me. I need my wife to do that for me. I need my friends to do that for me, just as I would seek to do it for you. We all have to be the ones who speak the truths of the gospel into each other's hearts. That's at the root of growing up in Christ. And so pray that God would speak into your heart the truths about the gospel. And pray that God would speak into your heart the truths about the gospel through your husband or your wife or your friends. Ask that he would be gracious to show that stuff to you. And lastly, as we start a new year, right? That we always think about like resolutions and about new things we want to commit to or things we want to change. I just want to remind you, changed actions only come from a changed identity. Changed actions only come from a changed identity. So if we want our lives to look different, then we have to lay hold of, like we have to like grasp onto who we are in Jesus. Otherwise our lives are just going to repetitively always look the same. Instead, we need King Jesus to empower us with his spirit to actually live differently unto him, for worship to him, about him. So cherish your identity as a child of God. Or maybe today you just need to let God adopt you as his kid so that you might receive his adopting love and his love as a good father so that you might actually live differently. See, we're actually supposed to imitate our Father. And our imitating of Him, it reveals we're part of His family. Our lives matter. Let's worship the Lord with our lives and with our words and with our actions. Let me pray. God, thank you most of all for your Son, Jesus, and all that you've done on our behalf to make us your kids. Thank you that you adopted us when we hated you. Not when we were like cleaned up and pretty. Not when we were like on our best behavior. God, you loved us. You adopted us as your kids when we were running from you and hating you with everything we had. God, thanks that you would. Thanks that you would grant us grace. You would grant us forgiveness even though we tried to overthrow your, your throne with our sin and put ourselves as the king of the world. I thank you that you would have grace towards us in that. So God, might you empower us as your kids to be motivated by your great love for us. Shine light on Jesus so that we would see him and follow him and imitate him in everything so that we would imitate you, our good father. And so we want to represent you because you've loved us and adopted us as your kids. That is such an incredible gift. Help us respond rightly. We cherish and enjoy you, Jesus. Amen.